You remember last Sunday we uh, talked about some unusual goings-on in Revelation chapter 12. Because we talked about a dragon in a maternity ward. That's very strange, isn't it? Don't expect to ever see that. Do you expect to see midwives in a maternity ward? And you expect to see the medical staff and all the equipment in the maternity ward. But you don't expect to see a dragon. None of us, nobody has ever seen a dragon in a maternity ward. That is apart from John, the apostle. Because in Revelation chapter 12, in the passage we studied last Sunday, John is given this vision of a dragon, and it's the devil. The old serpent himself, the deceiver. And he's in the maternity ward, but this is no ordinary maternity ward because there's a a lady in the ward who's about to give birth and the lady is a symbol of the nation of Israel, the Jews. And the dragon is there because he wants to devour the little one that's about to be born and that's the Christ child, the Lord Jesus You remember we said last week that Christ came from Israel. He's a Jew. He was, as the scriptures tell us, he sprang from the tribe of Judah. And he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so the dragon is waiting there to devour Christ. We spoke about all the the tyrants in the Old Testament who wanted to destroy the people of Israel to wipe out the Jews so that the Savior wouldn't come. Then we talked about history down through the centuries of time since the Savior did live on the earth and walk upon the earth, the different tyrants that there's been, Stalin and Hitler and others who have tried to wipe out the Jews, people working for the dragon who wants to devour the Savior. The dragon in the maternity ward. Well, thank God the dragon wasn't successful because the baby was born. And it's the Lord Jesus. And uh, we read, we've read, we read last week about the rod of iron. How that little child that was born, the Messiah, the little one born in Bethlehem's manger would grow up and was destined one day to rule this universe with a rod of iron. A crowbar. You farmers know what a crowbar is. Maybe some of you who are not farmers, you know what a crowbar is. An iron rod. And the idea that's described in Revelation chapter 12 is the enemies of Christ are coming against him with a royal Dalton tea set. With pottery. With china. But the Savior has the rod of iron or the crowbar. Now, if you were in a scuffle with somebody, would you rather have a Royal Dalton tea set or a crowbar? Who do you think would come out? Who would would come out on the winning side? Well, we all know. You wouldn't like to be the one carrying the tea set and fighting with the tea set. That's the picture here. It's, It's... Nearly laughable. Those who fight against Christ, those who oppose him, those who oppose his church, the tyrants. They're having a hope. Jesus wins. And those who are on the side of Jesus win as well. 
the baby with the crowbar wins. But let's move on today and let's come to verse 7. And we find there was war in heaven. War in heaven. We can entitle today's message Star Wars. Star Wars. Do you ever watch the movie, the movies, Star Wars, the movie franchise as it's called? Well, here in heaven there's a war in the heavenly places. This great war takes place at the end of the age. This is not way back before the world began when Satan was defeated and cast out of heaven. No, this is at the end of the age. This is, this is the end times here. And there's war in heaven. This is a war that you won't hear about on the mainstream media. It'll not be mentioned on the BBC or ITV or Sky News or CNN or all the rest of them. No, you'll have to go to the Word of God to find out about this war. And you find out about it here in Revelation chapter 12, the war in heaven. And there's two, obviously, as with any battle, there's two opposing sides. There's two armies. You've got the Lord's army, and then you've got Lucifer's army. The Lord's army versus Lucifer's army. Let's think about the Lord's army for a moment. It tells us there in the passage in verse 7 that Michael is the great general who leads the Lord's army, the great archangel. Someone called him God's bouncer. God's bouncer. I remember before I was saved being at nightclubs and there'd be bouncers, big burly boys that you didn't mess with. And they were there, maybe a couple of them standing at the door. And everybody came and came and looked up to them. And, you, you know, you nearly fell down your knees before them. These, oh, nobody wanted to fall out with the bouncers because one arm you'd be out in your ear. Thrown out of the club. Well, Michael throws the devil out of heaven. Michael casts him out. You know, we could say Michael was a security guard. Heaven's security guard. And he hurls the devil out of heaven. It's interesting when you read the book of Daniel, you find out that Michael is associated with the nation of Israel. He's connected with the Jewish people. Daniel 12 verse 1. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. Michael stands up for the people of Israel. So that's the Lord's army. You've got Michael here. And then you've got the angels who support your fighting with Michael against the enemy. But then you've got Lucifer's army. Lucifer's army. She were told about Lucifer in verse 9. The great dragon, the, the old, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. You remember the one who wanted to devour the Christ child? Remember the, the dragon in the maternity ward? Well, he's the one who's fighting against Michael and the good angels. But he loses. He's defeated. 
Verse 9 tells us he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Satan is no longer allowed to go into heaven. He no longer has access into heaven to accuse the Christians. That's what it means. You see in verse uh, 10 we're told that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And he accused them before God day and night. That's his special work. That's what he's good at. That's his number one tactic in the battle that we're engaged in. He accuses Christians. Some people even believe, I'm not saying that I believe it, but some people would say that whenever Christians stand at the judgment seat of Christ to receive their rewards according to their service, Satan's going to be there. And even at the judgment seat of Christ, he's going to be accusing the Christians. That may be the case, I don't know. But the one thing that I do know is that if he is allowed at the judgment seat of Christ, the Lord Jesus will stand up and will be the advocate for the Christians and he will say, I am the propitiation. I have paid for all those sins that you speak about, Satan. They're all covered by my blood. But this is what Satan does best. He accuses the Lord's people. We've all experienced it. A guilty conscience. Something that we did yesterday or last week or last month or last year. Maybe 50 years ago. The ghosts of guilt. The devil throws up our past sins in front of us. He tells us that we're not saved. How could you be saved after what you've done? He accuses us. This is his dirty work, we could say. Now here's the point. Don't you do his dirty work for him? Do you hear me? Don't you accuse Christians of this and that and the other thing. Oh, that we as the Lord's people would not accuse one another. God forbid that I should accuse a brother or sister in Christ. I have got plenty of problems of my own. I have plenty of faults of my own without daring to point the finger at others. May God keep us from doing the devil's dirty work. He can do it himself. Mind you, the devil's trying his best to get the Christians to do his dirty work in these days. The devil wants to divide the Lord's people in these days, vaccinated and unvaccinated. He wants to sow the seeds of division. Be careful, be wary. Let's maintain the unity. Don't let the devil get in and bring division. And he loves to divide Christians and and then he loves to hear the accusations start. He said this or she said that or he did this thing and she did that thing. Oh, may the Lord cover us with his blood. May he put a shield of precious blood upon us as a church that we might be preserved from doing the devil's dirty work. 
But here's Satan, the, the uh, accuser of the brethren, he's, he's hurled out of heaven. Not allowed to accuse anymore. No more access into the presence of God. We can trace the downward trajectory of Satan here in the book of Revelation. Of course, he's the one who, way back before the world began, he was cast out of heaven. You remember, because he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be the same as God. In fact, he wanted to depose God. But he was cast out of heaven. That was his first downfall. And then we find here in Revelation 12 that he's cast out again. Because up until this point, he has been able to go back into heaven to accuse Christians. He accused Job. He accused Joshua, the high priest. But now he's finally cast out. He, he, he has no more access. He will not be permitted to enter heaven again. For any reason. And then we read in Revelation 20 that he will be uh, thrown into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And uh, during th that thousand year period the Lord Jesus will reign on the earth with his people. The millennium it's called. The millennium. And then finally at the end of all at the end of history, the devil will be thrown into the lake of fire where the false prophet and the beast are. Final nail will be hammered into his coffin. Mind you, let me say, make sure that you're not in the lake of fire with him someday. God forbid that any, anyone in our congregation, anyone in our service this morning should refuse Christ. And be in the same place, the very same place where this evil individual is, where Satan is. And it's not just for a hundred years, a thousand years. You'll be with him. You will keep company with him for all eternity. What an awful thought. Satan is going downwards. But hallelujah that the saints are going upwards. Glory to God. We who are saved are going up to glory. We're, we're heading upward. We're a, a day's march nearer home today. And the devil's going downward. He's a defeated foe. Hallelujah. Let's lift up our eyes. Let's be on standby, as we mentioned earlier, for the Lord's coming. Lift up your eyes, for your redemption draweth nigh. But then this passage, this chapter, it speaks of weapons. This battle, this war in heaven, there are weapons that are used. I want you to notice these weapons. And these are the weapons that we as the church need to be using in these days. The first weapon that brings victory is mentioned in verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb. Now by this I'll overcome Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now by this I'll reach my home. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. You see, our faith today is in the blood of the Lord Jesus. That's the, the great message of Christianity. It is that there was someone who shed his blood for sinners. 
False religion will, 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 will uh, encourage its adherents to shed the blood of infidels. And we could talk about that today. World religions, false religions that are shedding the blood of Christians today. Whether you talk about Islam or Hinduism, but they're persecuting Christians today and in places like Nigeria and India and other places, they're shedding the blood of Christians. That's part of their religion. And that supposedly will gain them acceptance with their God. But Christianity and the gospel says, do no man any harm. The blood of the Lord Jesus has been shed for all mankind. The one we worship today shed his blood for sinners. He shed his blood for you. And through that blood you can be saved. You can be redeemed. The blood of the Lamb. That's how we overcome. But then the second weapon there that's mentioned in the same verse is the word of our testimony. The word of their testimony. Do you ever ever speak about Jesus Christ to anybody? Do you ever put a Facebook post about Christ? Instagram, Twitter, WhatsApp. Do you ever ever mention the, the Lord to anyone? The word of their testimony. These are days whenever we need to be witnessing for the Lord. And as we witness, we overcome. What a weapon it is, personal testimony. We're looking forward to Roisin coming in February to share her personal testimony. But we can all testify Monday to Saturday. Don't have to be in a pulpit on a Sunday. Just each day of the week as we rub shoulders with our work colleagues or in the home or in the shop or wherever. Young people at school. The word of their testimony. But then there's another weapon that's mentioned, not in verse 12, or not in verse 11, but it's mentioned in verse 14. I want you to notice this. This is a great weapon for we who are saved as we seek to fight the good fight of faith. Verse 14, And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness into her place, where she is nourished. What's this? Two wings of a great eagle. What's the idea here? Prayer. Prayer. The mention of the eagle should turn our thoughts to Isaiah 40 and verse 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall mount up with wings as eagles. Prayer. One of the greatest weapons that we can use and that will bring the victory for us in our lives as believers is the weapon of prayer, private prayer and corporate prayer, as much prayer as possible. Getting the wings of the eagle and flying up into the heavenlies, get up above the clouds, all the doom and gloom, get up away above it where the sun shines. And it says that she is nourished. Don't you like that word there in verse 14? She's nourished. When she, when she flies away with two wings of a great eagle, she's nourished. 
Whenever the church gets to prayer, she's nourished. Hallelujah. In private prayer in the closet, we are nourished. On a Sunday evening at half past six, a Tuesday morning at ten, a a Thursday evening at 7.30, we are nourished, hallelujah, prayer. And through this great weapon, we overcome. Let me finish with this. Time is gone. You know in a war how great generals write their report after the war is over? Dispatches, it's called. And certain people who have showed chivalry and bravery and courage are mentioned in dispatches. Mentioned in dispatches. Do you know in this great war in heaven, in Revelation 12, there are people who are mentioned in dispatches. Look at the end of verse 11. They loved not their lives unto the death. They loved not their lives unto the death. Here is a reference to the martyrs. To those down through the pages of history who have given their lives for Christ. Some of them were burnt at the stake. Others were starved. Others were stabbed. There's one of the, I'm not sure if it was which of the apostles or prophets it was, but they said that he was boiled in hot oil, according to tradition, simply for being a Christian. They loved not their lives unto the death. The courage. Oh, that God would give to us in this local church a baptism of courage. And one day the Lord Jesus will mention us in dispatches. If only we'll take our stand for him in this evil day. If only we will nail our colors to the mast and pledge allegiance to the Lamb. Wonder, have you enlisted in the Lord's army? Are you saved? If not, you enlist in his army today. Before you leave this church, you come to Christ. If you need help, if you, if you have questions, ask myself or other, uh, another Christian, and uh, we'll be only too happy to help you, but we can't save you. You don't need us, really. The person you need is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's waiting to hear your prayer. Join his army today. Get into the battle. Enlist in the battle. Christian, you're saved, but are you involved in the battle? Are you engaging the enemy? Are you a good soldier of Jesus Christ? 2 Timothy chapter 2. Or as C.T. Studd, the great missionary to China, said, a chocolate soldier. He actually wrote a book about Chocolate soldiers, Christians who wouldn't take their stand, Christians who wouldn't witness, Christians who wouldn't come out into the open and say and let people know I'm saved. Chocolate soldiers. 
God forbid that any of us should be like that. May the Lord help us all to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. And we want to think about that theme as we sing our final hymn. O church, arise and put your armor on. Let's stand together for this hymn. This is a great hymn. It was written relatively recently. But, you know, it's, it's got the kind of tune and the kind of um, rhythm that you would nearly think it's like Martin Luther's A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It's a great hymn. And it encourages us to, to arise and to take our stand for Christ. O church, arise. Well, let's arise and sing. Mm-hmm. 